people think, oh, well, estate planning, that's something only rich people do. Well, it's not. Everyone, everyone needs to have a power of attorney document naming someone to make financial decisions for them if they can't. Mama! Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama House Goals is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom, and whatever your goals are, together we're making them a reality. One of the biggest challenges in becoming an adult, a parent, or just navigating life is having tough conversations and having to do things that don't always feel good all the time. And today we're talking about finances. We're talking about having conversations with your parents about their end-of-life finances, how they navigate that, what are the things you need to have in place, and also how do you set yourself up for success? How can you have positive financial conversations in your household from the very beginning? Our guest today, Cameron Huddleston, is an award-winning personal finance journalist and author of Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. She's also a mom of three herself and was a caregiver for more than 12 years to her mom who had Alzheimer's disease. At 35, hoping to have her mom close to help with her four and two-year-old, she realized that she wasn't going to have the same situation that she thought she had, but she was blessed to have the opportunity to be able to set her mom up for success and to care for her in the right way. Through her own experience, everything that she's learned from her background in finance, she helps families have the right tools and resources to have the conversations with their parents and also establish healthy conversations about money in the home. Today, we talk about how to truly do that, how to have the difficult conversations, how to work through it with maybe siblings, why this is important, even if you don't have money or you don't think you really have things. Highly recommend that you dive into this. This is a conversation we all need to have information around, we all need to have, and we all need to walk through. So make sure you're setting yourself and others up for success. Let's dive in. Cameron, I am so excited to have you here. As soon as I saw one of your reels come up in my feed on Instagram, I knew that you had so much value to share with our community. And I wanted to bring you on here, not just as a mom, but also your expertise around communicating with your parents, whether they have a disease like Alzheimer's or dementia, or really just in general on their finances and how to have these kind of awkward conversations sometimes. So I'm super excited to dive into finances and those conversations today. Um, Thank you for being here. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Take us back a little bit into really the transition of how this got started for you. Obviously, it was through your own experiences. So walk us through that a little bit. Sure. So I I have three kids. And when my daughters were ages two and four, and I was 35, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. She was 65 at the time. And I was you know, thinking um, it was so great being so close to my mom because I thought, oh, I'm going to have help with my kids. And then suddenly the tables were turned and I had to take care of my mom because she was living on her own. She and my dad had gotten divorced while I was in high school, early college, and my sister lived several states away. So it was up to me to take care of her stepped into a role that I never thought I would have to assume because she was, she was pretty healthy otherwise. And so, you know, I really, I had to scramble because I had not had conversations with her about her finances. I had a general idea of where she stood, um, 
but I didn't know all of the details. And so, you know, luckily for me, I am a personal finance journalist. So I knew what financial steps needed to be taken. Uh, Like I knew that we needed to meet with an attorney right away to update all of her legal documents so that I would have the legal right to make financial decisions for her. And I would have the legal right to make healthcare decisions for her. And I knew that she needed to get that will updated and she needed to update her living will that would spell out what sort of end of life medical care she did or did not want. But, you know, beyond that, I had to play detective to figure out the details of her finances as she was forgetting those details. And it wasn't easy at all. And that kind of, after you know, being involved with her finances for several years as her caregiver, it prompted me to write a book on how to have conversations with your parents about their finances, because I realized most people weren't having these conversations. And dementia and Alzheimer's is kind of tricky because there's no real timeline, right? So someone can look at a parent that's sick and say, okay, we have X timeline, or my parent isn't sick, so we have this timeline, where dementia and Alzheimer's, you really don't know. And there's good days and there's bad days, and you really aren't sure what type of conversations you can have and when. Now, A comment that I hear often from people, and I want to just kind of squash that before we move on, is this isn't just for families with money, right? So often people are like, well, we don't really have anything, so we don't really need to have that conversation. And that's not true. So can you just kind of squash that bug for us before we get started so they know they need to keep listening? (laughs) I am so glad you brought that up because I hear that too, and you are 100% correct. In fact, I think if your family doesn't have a lot of money, uh, especially if your family is struggling financially, then there's even more of a need to have this conversation. Because if you are the adult child of a parent who's not doing well financially, there's a much greater chance that you are going to have to be involved in your parents' care, or you might have to help support them financially as they get older. And this is something you need to know now, rather than at the moment when you have to get involved, because there's not going to be a plan those legal documents are not going to be in place. And, you know, people think, oh, well, estate planning, that's something only rich people do. Well, it's not. Everyone, everyone needs to have a power of attorney document naming someone to make financial decisions for them if they can't. You know, you can't sign a check for mom. You can't get on the phone with her credit card company. You can't get on the phone with the health insurer to, you know, negotiate, you know, how much the health insurance company is going to cover after a hospital visit unless you have been named that financial power of attorney. The doctor's not going to talk to you unless you've been named healthcare power of attorney. And everyone needs to have a will or a trust that spells out who gets what when they die, because if you die without a will, state law dictates who gets what. Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't want your family to end up in court fighting over the little things (laughs) that people do indeed fight over. And so, you know, and when it gets to, when it comes to care, I mean, most people who need long-term care, they end up relying on family and they do this for a variety of reasons. But one of the big reasons is because the cost of professional care is so expensive. And so if you don't have a plan to pay for care, you're going to count on your kids or your spouse or other family members And you need to know this. You need to know if mom and dad are counting on you because caregiving can be a full-time job. And so you need to 
have this plan with your parents. Okay, well, you know, how are we going to make this work? <laughs> Can you look into finding, you know, some ways to pay for care if you need it? If you're counting on me entirely, you might have to move into my house because I've got my own kids to take care of. These conversations need to yeah. happen so that there's a plan. If you just wait until that moment when there's that Alzheimer's diagnosis or there's a stroke or whatever, then you're going to run into so many issues. And to be honest, it can be even more expensive because let's go back to that financial power of attorney thing. So you haven't been named power of attorney for mom. She's in the hospital. She's had a stroke and you need to make sure the bills are getting paid, but the bank's not going to talk to you because you're not power of attorney. Then you have to go through the court system to be named conservator or guardian. And this can take several months. You have to hire an attorney for yourself, your parent, because you're essentially putting your parent on trial to prove that your parent's no longer competent. I mean, this could cost you thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, the the medical bills are, you know, racking up and someone's got to pay the bills. And so, you know, I, I know someone who found himself in this situation and spent $10,000 going through that legal process and $25,000 out of pocket covering his dad's medical bills until he could get access to his dad's bank account. You know, how many of us have that kind of money just lying around, but these problems can yeah. be avoided. If you have these conversations, you make sure the legal documents are in place and you have a plan for if your parents need care. Yeah. So you could incur additional cost by not doing things the right way. Mm -hmm. And you also have that emotional toll, right? Like taking your family member to court, no one wants to do that. That just puts a whole new barrier onto everything that you're trying to do and support your loved one. Now, I think it's always helpful you have some sort of script, right, to get this started. And so one way to do that would be like, hey, I was listening to this podcast and I heard that we should have a conversation about this. But what are some of the things that you recommend to really just start the conversation? And I'd love for if you could give us two, one for the family member that has like a pretty open relationship and that this might be a little bit easier with, and maybe one that you don't have the best relationship with, but you know that you could find yourself in this situation. I think if you have a good relationship with your parents and if money is not a taboo topic in your family, I think you can take a direct approach and simply say something like, you know, mom and dad, I love you. And if you ever need my help as you get older, I want to be able to help you, but I need some information in order to do that. And then just keep the conversation going from there, letting them know what sort of information you need. Do you have estate planning documents? Do you have a plan to pay for long-term care? What's retirement going to look like for you? Are you planning on staying in this house? Are you going to downsize? If you think that your parents are going to be reluctant to have this conversation, one way you can do this, and this works really well if you are still relatively young, in your 20s, your 30s, you're just starting out, maybe you had kids of your own, or maybe you just got married, ask your parents for advice, for financial advice, because this avoids that role reversal that makes these conversations so awkward. So you say something like, you know, hey, I just got married. Do you think I need to have life insurance now? And should I have a will? And your parents' answers are going to give you clues about what sort of planning they've done. They might say, oh yeah, a will. Hmm. We never got around to doing that. Or they might say, yes, we have a will and we have this and that and that. And you say, oh great. Where are those documents? Where can I find them if I need it? And how do I make sure I, how can I get my own estate planning documents? Or 
life insurance. Like how much life insurance do you think I should get? What type of life insurance should I get? And so you listen to their answers and then you ask them more questions. And and this is not a conversation that happens, you know, just for an hour on one day. This is a series of conversations. Yeah. You want to keep that conversation going and it can take a while. And if your parents are especially reluctant, you're going to have to try a variety of approaches. You know, maybe it's not asking them questions about financial matters, maybe it's talking to them about scams that you've heard about because we can all be targeted Mm -hmm. by scammers. It's a really easy way to introduce the idea of talking about money. You know, hey, I just got this call from someone claiming to be with the IRS and they said I owed money. Do you know this is a scam, mom and dad? You know, or maybe you send them an article that you read about a scam or maybe you bring up that podcast that you listen to, but you might have to try a lot of different approaches until they finally get comfortable opening up to you. Yeah. And those scams are tricky. You know, I've had people go to my parents say that I'm going to be sued and they're going to have to claim me and all these things. But teaching your parents to look for a couple of things, like are they using your maiden name? Are they using different information? And also just like tell them to always call you first, like before you ever do anything, hang up the phone and call me. Now, I feel like one of the biggest hurdles in any of these conversations is siblings. Because you're not maybe the only child. Can you talk a little bit about how to navigate that in the situation that you're maybe all equal or that you truly maybe are the one that should be named the person in charge? So you're right. The conversations with siblings can sometimes be even more difficult than the conversations with parents. And I encourage people to talk to their siblings before talking to mom and dad. So you call a family meeting and you say, hey, let's you know, get together for lunch or let's, you know, if you live in different cities, you might have to get on Zoom or FaceTime and you say, look, I've been thinking about mom and dad and I think it would be a good idea if we had a conversation with them about their finances to see where they stand, you know, what sort of role they might expect us to play in their finances as they get older. You know, maybe we can get some questions answered about their estate planning documents, their long-term care plan. And so you call this meeting, you let your siblings know you want to talk, and then you give your siblings an opportunity to talk. You shouldn't be controlling the whole conversation. You know, you let say, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? When would be a good time to talk to them? Do you think all of us should be talking to them? Or maybe it's just one of us. And so everyone gets a say. Um, Certainly, if you have siblings who might sabotage the conversation, perhaps, you know, they have their own financial issues. They've had run-ins with the law. There are substance abuse issues or serious mental health issues. You should think twice before inviting that sibling into the conversation if it's going to only create problems. But, you know, if you and your siblings are just not super tight, (laughs) that doesn't mean that you should exclude them for the conversation. You know, you have to say, let's put our differences aside. We're here to talk about mom and dad. And so you come up with this plan of who's going to start the conversation, when you're going to have the conversation. And I think it's a good idea during that conversation with your siblings to kind of hash out what roles you think you might be willing to play. Mm. So that when you go to your parents, you're going to them as this united force. You know, we've been talking. We want to be able to help you if you ever need help. Or I'm willing to do this and my sister's willing to do that. Of course, at the end of the day, it's up to your parents to decide, you know, which child they want to be the power of attorney, the healthcare proxy, the executor for the will. Um, But just letting your parents know that you are in agreement 
because oftentimes adults don't want to have these conversations with their children because they're afraid it's going to lead to fighting among the kids. And so if they yeah. see that you've kind of come together and that you are in at least some sort of agreement, it's going to make it easier for them to open up to you. But definitely try to talk to your siblings. If you've got siblings who don't want to participate, say, you know what, that's okay. We'll just keep you updated and let you know how the conversation went with mom and dad, um, but at least give them an opportunity to participate if they want to. You want to, you know, try to put those differences aside, <laughs> try to put aside the sibling rivalry and let your siblings know, look, we, we got to come to some sort of agreement here. We just, you know, yeah. the goal here is to, to take care of mom and dad. And, you know, and if anyone's like, well, it's not fair, you know, mom should name all of his power of attorney, be like, look, <laughs> this is not a prize that you win. This is a really hard job, you know? So if mom and yeah. dad only want to name one of us, that's okay. We don't all need to like, you know, step into these roles because really these roles are difficult roles to take on. And if, if people knew how hard they were, they wouldn't be raising their hand and volunteering to do it. And so you can let your siblings know that too. Totally. And I think it's also just comes back to like anything in life. I like to stand behind the word intentionality. Like what is everyone's intention with the conversation, with the title, with the division of if there is any items or wealth or anything like that? And like anyone listening to this podcast, I believe that your heart is in the right place. And so help communicate that to the other people at the table and say, hey, here's where I think you can step up. And then you said at the beginning, like, listen to them and let them talk. And I think it's finding out, like, what do you want to be a part of? What do you think you would be good at? Because I can tell you, like, my sister is an amazing person, but she is not going to raise her hand and be like, yep, I want to be calling all these people and doing all these things. But she is so much more adequate to do some other things caring for our parents than I maybe am. So finding the right people for the right roles, like you said, is really, really powerful and really allows everyone to come back to like, hey, we were all one family at one point in time. Somehow, regardless of how broken or beautiful that may look now, there is something that ties us together. So is there a person, though, if this just like gets really toxic, but that someone has to figure it out, right? There has to be some version of a resolution at the end of it. Who's like a person you can go to? Is this like a family therapist? Is this a lawyer? Who do you go to to be like, hey, my family is not getting along. We can't decide how to figure out what to do with either the power of the attorney or now that we know who the power attorney is, it's just really uncomfortable. What are the people that can help you? So there are a variety of professionals who can help. Um, an attorney can certainly be of help if you because the attorney is going to be the one who would be the best person to draft those estate planning documents. There are free and low cost ones available, but it's better to meet with an attorney, you know, and so maybe even getting the whole family there at the table with the attorney. So the attorney can discuss the roles and what those responsibilities are and helping people realize, you know, what it entails to be the power of attorney or the executor for an estate. So an attorney is a starting point. Also, you can reach out to a family counselor, social worker. There are even social workers and counselors out there who specialize in helping adult children who are caregivers for parents. There are also what are called aging life care professionals. They were formerly known as geriatric care managers. And so these people specialize in helping in these caregiving situations where you've got an older adult who needs support. And so they can help facilitate those conversations between the adult children and the parents. They can also help if your parents need support. They can point your 
parents to resources in the community, um, government benefits that might help them out, help them find that elder law attorney or estate planning attorney, or you know, even helping them find an accountant there in the community. So there are professionals out there who can serve as mediators and getting that third party involved can work really well in certain situations. It can even work well if you're just trying to have that conversation with the parent. And the parent is mm-hmm. reluctant to listen. So getting having that professional say, hey, you should be sharing some information with your kids. Or even if it's reaching out to a family friend or, you know, a member of the clergy, you know, the place where your parent worships, you know, reaching out to that person and saying, you know, hey, could you help us have a family conversation? Or, hey, could you encourage mom and dad to share some information with us? So many good takeaways. How has this changed how you talk to your kids? You know, your kids are ranging from 11 to 18, and they're probably in that age range. You can have some of these conversations. And having younger kids myself, I think you can probably start at any age. It just looks a little different. So what are some of the conversations that you find really beneficial in your home with your family and you would recommend that people start and how early? I think you should be talking to kids about money as soon as they can start talking. Introducing the concept of money to them. This is a coin. This is a bill, you know, and as they get older, you know, money just doesn't grow on trees. You earn money. And when you have money, you have to make choices about how you spend it. And so you go to the supermarket with your kids and you can, you know, have a fun exercise of looking at the prices and okay, help us find the best price on this on chocolate chip cookies, (laughs) you know, go find the least expensive box of chocolate chip cookies, you know, so they they can understand that you have to pay for things and that there's a budget, a family budget. And sometimes we have to make choices and sometimes we can afford to spend more on some things. Sometimes we have to spend less on things. And if we're going to spend a lot of money on toys, that might mean less money to take fun trips. These are the conversations that I've had with my kids since they were little. Of course, as they get older, the conversations get a little bit more complicated, like talking about college and paying for college or talking about credit cards and debt or how to even be responsible with that debit card that's linked to the bank account so that they don't lose mm-hmm. the debit card. And do you get a phone and how much <laughs> you know, car insurance, that sort of thing. I think conversations about money with kids should be happening all the time. And it, you don't have to you know, just set them down and say, okay, today we're going to go over this. They can happen organically. Like I said, at the supermarket, at the dinner table, you know, when you're planning a trip, getting them involved and saying, okay, let me just show you if we want to go here, it's going to cost this much. If we want to go here, it's going to cost that much. I think we're going to go here because it fits within our budget. And so Mm -hmm. the more you talk about money, first of all, the smarter it's going to make your kids about financial matters and they're going to become financially savvy adults. But it's just, it's going to make it easier as they get older because when those big money issues come up, it's already going to be part of your regular dialogue. And so talking about college cost or buying a car isn't going to come out of the blue for them. And they're not going to be like, well, wait, I don't understand. Why can't I get the car I want? We, you know, money's no problem in our household. You know, you always get us what we want. Well, <laughs> if you never had conversations about money, of course, they're going to be surprised when you say, I'm sorry, you're not getting a BMW for your 16th birthday. It's going to be that used Camry. Um, <laughs> and so I just, I do think it's important to start a young age and make it part of your everyday conversations. 
Yeah. And just like any education, it's hard to teach something that you weren't taught, right? Like whether it's parenting techniques, it's um, financial literacy. So what are some of the things that you really recommend that people educate themselves on to make sure that they can show up as a parent, whether their kid's two or their kid's 18? Is it opening a bank account, co-signing on a credit card? Like, are there platforms? Are there actual tangible actions you should be taking that you believe like, hey, as a parent, like these are like the top three that you should really set your kids up for success with? Well, I do think it's important to start by educating yourself. If you're not financially savvy, which a lot of us are not because we weren't taught this in school and it wasn't taught to us by our parents, get online. There are plenty of resources out there. Just look for a reputable source. I'm talking, you know, something like if you go to whatever news organization you like, let's say it's CNN. CNN has plenty of articles related to money and personal finance. Maybe you want to go to something that is personal finance specific, like Kiplinger's personal finance, Kiplinger.com, or Nerd Wallet, or, you know, even your bank is going to have information on its website. You might be getting emails from your bank about, you know, related to financial education. And so choose a reputable source for starters so that you can educate yourself. I think really the most important issue that families should be discussing is needs versus wants, because it is so easy to get caught up with trying to keep up with the Joneses. And your kids, once they are in school, they're going to look around and see what other kids have. And they're going to come home and they're going to start asking for things. You know, my friend Paige has an Apple Watch. Why can't I have an Apple Watch? You know, my friend Sam has, you know, whatever, a new gaming system, whatever the most popular one is at the time. Why can't I have a new Nintendo or a new PlayStation? You're going to get these questions all the time from your kids. Mm -hmm. And the sooner you start introducing them to the concept of needs versus wants and that your family has a budget and that spending has to be aligned with what you value. You know, if you value travel, then you tell your kids, and this is something I tell my kids, you know, hey, we love to take fun trips. So if we spend all our money buying you a bunch of Lego sets, then we can't take cool trips. Yeah. You, you really want this, but we need to pay for electricity. We need to pay for groceries this month. And that doesn't mean that you want to scare your kids and say, you know, to, to share all your financial struggles with them if you are struggling financially, but, you know, letting them know this is something you want and, you know, we can get some things that we want sometimes, but we have to pay for our needs first. And yes, your friends had this. There are always going to be kids who have more, but there are always going to be kids who have less. And it's so funny because... My daughters, my two oldest are girls, and they're so different from their brother. My son is my materialistic child. And we just had <laughs> the conversation this morning about his friends and which of his friends, you know, have the coolest things and the most things. And I've always heard more from him than from his sisters about what his friends have. And I tell him that all the time. Look, you're always going to have friends who have more and you're going to have friends who have less. And that's just the way it's going to be. You're not going to get everything yeah. you asked for. 
And you know, a couple things that you prompt for me is you can show kids kind of, like you said, map it out to say like, okay, this is the amount of money that either they receive as an allowance or they earn or that you as a family truly have and all the things that come out of that and then how we budget for the things that we want to do or we set that money aside. My parents were very honest with me as a kid and they were like, hey, if you want to go buy $300 pair of jeans, like you got to figure that out on your own. We're not we're putting clothes on your body, but we're not doing that. And so I got a job really young to figure out how to get the things that I wanted. As an adult, though, you know, some people are like, that's great. You went and got a job. You paid for the things you wanted. That was great. But now looking back, I'm like, gosh, if I had spent that money differently, I could have put that money towards something else at a young age. And so as a parent, while I hope that my kids still understand that they have to earn the things that they desire, I want to help question why they have that desire. Just because your friend sees that you have the next video game or the new outfit or whatever, really breaking down like, why do we want those things? And it's okay to want cute clothes and nice things occasionally, but really breaking down like, why? Why do you have that desire? And you mentioned the value. What is your values? Um, and is your, do you value travel? Do you value high-end clothing? If you do, then what does that look like? And how do you support it? And you know, I'm not here to tell you what you should value, but helping your kids understand the value system behind the choices you're making with your finances, because we can all work more and make more money, but that doesn't really break down what we do with it and why. So I absolutely love how you broke that down and using those values and really explaining to them, like, even if you go and you get four jobs and you're doing all of this, like, you should be conscious about what you're doing with it. So absolutely love that. What are some of the activities or practices that you regularly make in your home? Maybe it's conversations at the dinner table or it's a family bill night or anything like that that sets you and your partner up for success or you and your kids, especially now that they're really spending and seeing money in a different way as young adults. So with my kids, like what you said, about having to earn money. So my kids have to earn money. They are not just given money. There are certain things around the house that they are expected to do because they are part of our household. And so they don't get paid for those things. But then they can earn money by doing additional chores. And you know they know how much they can make by doing those things. The more they do, the more money they can make. And so that's one thing, you know, they come to me and they want some money. I'm like, well, you have your own money. So you, if you really huh. want this, then you can buy it. And then it's interesting how quickly they'll change their tune. Oh, 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 okay. So you want me to use my money? Mm, I don't think I really want it now. Um, and so that's one thing that we do is, you know, having a way for them to, to make money so that they, if they want to buy something, they have their own money that they can spend to buy things. My husband and I don't sit down and have a like a specific night of the week or whatever where we will go over things, but we talk about money. It's it's just part of the yeah. conversation and we don't make any big purchases without consulting each other. I think we've we've been together for so long and we have a system that's set up where, you know, most of our bills are paid automatically, so there're not any surprises there, you know, if um we get bills in the mail that aren't being set up to be paid automatically. There's a conversation about that. Typically, if it's a medical bill, he's going to pay it for it because he's got a health savings account through work. And so I'm like, hey, medical bill, you need to make sure this is paid. Yeah. But it's it's really, it's just kind of a, 
we keep an open dialogue about money. Yeah. It is certainly not a taboo topic in our house. And like I said, you know, if there are any big purchases made, we're going to consult with each other on it. Whenever we are shopping for things, we're going to, you know, usually sit down together and compare prices. If we're traveling, we're going to get online and look for the best price for a flight or for a hotel or for a vacation rental. And so it's, it's a joint effort. It's not, it's not that, one or the other of us is handling all the financial matters. We do everything together. And I think that that's smart. And I would really, I would encourage all couples to do this because oftentimes, and I hear this particularly from women who let their husband manage the finances entirely. Oh, I'm not involved with the family finances. Like they're the ones who are making a lot of the shopping decisions, doing the grocery shopping, Mm -hmm. but they have no idea beyond that really how much money is set aside in savings. They don't know, are there life insurance policies for both both partners? They don't know what money has been set aside for retirement. And I think both partners need to be very well aware of the entire financial picture. Um, and you know they need to have access to all the accounts. That doesn't mean that you can't have separate accounts. I know some couples like to keep separate accounts, but if something happens to one partner, that other partner needs to be able to have access to money. And so there needs to be a way to get access to all accounts. And so I think you need to, you know, you can't just let one person take control because I don't think that ends well. I think both people in a relationship need to be aware of the whole financial picture. Yeah. I think that so often you hear these stories of people, their husband passes away. We don't want this to happen to anyone, but it happens. And then the women are like, I don't know. I don't even know how to get into this. And if your husband doesn't know anything, you should also bring him in. Like if the roles are reversed, but typically it is that the the man is handling most of the finances. And, you know, my husband and I got together very young. And everything was open conversation. Everything was connected. I knew everything. I had all of my stuff understood. And then as I got really busy with work and we had kids, he kind of assumed responsibility of some of that stuff. And so I, we recently, actually about a year ago, had the same conversation where I was like, I know you're really good at this and you can do it, but we've kind of created this like trust in you that, and I do trust you, but coming back to it, if something were to happen... We have to make sure that we both understand everything and that we're both on the same page and that I know how to get into everything and I know all the numbers. And it does allow you to have an open dialogue and conversation. You know, you're talking about how money's not a taboo topic in your house. It doesn't become taboo if it's a constant conversation, if it's just a part of your life, it's a part of your values. You know, I think we can all squash the phrase money buys happiness. We know that's not true, but money buys choices. It buys opportunity. It buys understanding. And so when you can have these conversations with your partner, you under- it allows for a lot less misunderstanding on where things are going, distrust. It really lay- levels the playing field for the two of you to be on top of it. Now, I want to not skip over the people that maybe aren't financially providing to their family so that that conversation becomes extra difficult. Can you talk on that a little bit? If maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or you're earning a lot less than your partner and so your partner is like, well, I'm the one making the money. I don't know why you need to see it. I don't know why you need to be a part of it. How do you have those conversations and how do you work through that? First of all, if you have a partner who says that to you, that I'm the one making the money, 
I don't know why you need to see how much there is. That's a red flag. That's a really dangerous situation to be in because, I mean, there is such thing as you know financial abuse. And if you're not given any access to that money, then your partner has control over you. And that's not a good position to be in. And so, you know, if anyone is hearing that from a partner, that's that's a really dangerous situation to be in. And hopefully that's not the response you would get, you know, but I think like what you said, I think that's a great way to approach it, you know, saying something like, hey, you're really good at this. Thank you so much for doing such a good job of you know, staying on top of this, that, and the other. But I do think it would be a good idea for me to get some information about how to access these accounts, what financial protections we have in place in case something does happen. I mean, I have made a list of all of my online accounts and my usernames and passwords, and my husband knows where that list is. He's made a list for me in case something does happen because I do need to be able to access those accounts. You know, just saying... Of course, we don't want anything to happen, but if it does, I know you don't yeah. want me to be in financial dire straits because I can't access an account. I don't know if there is life insurance or where the life insurance policy is. Um, and, and certainly if you are counting on your spouse, your spouse is the primary breadwinner, that spouse needs to have ample life insurance to support mm-hmm. you. And if you have kids in case something happens to your spouse, But if you're the stay-at-home parent, you need life insurance too, because if something were to happen to you, then your spouse or your partner is going to have to find daycare or, you know, support for those kids. And so that costs money. And so you, you might not be bringing in a paycheck, but you are contributing financially to your family. And so there needs to be life insurance for you too, to cover those costs that you're covering as a caregiver for the kids. And so- yeah, go in and start out nicely and compliment your partner for doing a great <laughs> job, but then say, hey, <laughs> let's make yeah. sure that we're on the same page and make sure that I have the information that I need in case something happens. Yeah. And to take that back, just to reiterate some like really important points there. If you feel like you're in a relationship that has that dynamic and you don't feel safe going to learn more about your finances, that's the first thing you need to get assistance and help around. You don't need to stay in that dynamic and you're worthy of knowing your finances and you're providing in other ways. So allow yourself to look at other opportunities and make sure that you're not being controlled financially. Secondly, once you're able to have those conversations and really open it up, allow yourself to get curious. Look for new opportunities, maybe for yourself. Allow yourself to really have this be fun. And then just logistically, you mentioned sharing the passwords. I'm a big fan of LastPass. It's a platform that you can use on your web browser or your phone so you can share passwords and update them. And so if I update in a password that my husband and I both share, it updates it in the same place so that we can access it all the same time. It's secure. So I highly recommend looking into that so that you can share things that way and you can share Also for business owners, this is great. If you have team members or if you want to share certain passwords with your kids, you can create like a family account in LastPass. So highly recommend looking into that for like an actual resource and really just like knowing about your finances. What are some practices? Are there like a podcast or a book? Is something that you could get started with just really thinking more about money if this is kind of a newer conversation for someone? Oh, goodness. There are... 
There are lots of podcasts. There are lots of books out there. <laughs> David Bach has a pretty good book about money for couples. Erin Lowry, who wrote the Broke Millennial series, that's a great introduction to money. And she's got one. The third book in the series is Broke Millennial Talks Money, and it's about how to have money conversations with friends and family. Though That's a good one, too. There's... Gene Chatsky has written books specifically for women, you know, related to women and money. So those are, those are good. Um, and there, there are tons and tons of personal finance podcasts out there that you can listen to. Oh, a really good one is Marriage, Kids, and Money by Andy Hill. Mm. That's a good one to listen to. Um, and I think Andy does a really good job of, you know, keeping it simple. It's not real high level. So anyone can yeah. tune in and listen and understand what's going on. And let's talk a little bit about your book, because that's also a really great resource. So tell us a little bit about what they can expect in the book. Is this something that you should read as the child? Can you buy it for your parent? What's kind of the dynamic? So my book is Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. And it's a guide to having those sometimes awkward conversations with your parents. I include a variety of conversation starters. I do talk about how to have the conversation with siblings. I talk about all the various topics you need to discuss with your parents, everything from estate planning documents to long-term care planning, scams, when it's time to move. And then my final chapter covers paying it forward, having the conversation with your own kids about your finances. And so I use very simple language. I explain every financial and legal term that you need to understand. I've got real life stories in there as examples. I use my own story a lot as an example, and I've got interviews with lots and lots of experts. And so um, I think it's a, it's a pretty easy book to understand. It's available, you know, wherever you want to get a book on Amazon, or if you want to you know, as your independent bookseller, if they don't happen to have it in stock, maybe they'll order it for you. That's certainly a resource. I do have a couple of free resources on my website, which is CameronHuddleston.com. I have an in case of emergency organizer that you could mm. download and print out, give to your parents, because a lot of times your parents might not want to tell you the details of their finances, but they're willing to write them down. And so you can say, hey, mom and dad, can you fill this out and put it someplace safe and tell me how to access it if there's an emergency? You can use it for yourself so that both you and your spouse fill it out and you store it someplace safe. So it's you know, got a list of all those accounts and important information like your social security yeah. number and your, you know, your driver's license number and your health insurance policy number. But you can use the book for yourself. You can't, I know people who've bought it and given it to parents <laughs> and just said, Hey, read this and then come talk to me. So people have yeah. done it that way too. Um, you know, whatever you feel most comfortable doing. That's amazing. I can't wait to look at that free printable and get the book myself. I know it'll provide so much value. And like you said, even if you're not in this situation with your own parents, we should set our own kids up for success, right? So this is a generational thing, a generational opportunity to make things better for the next generation. What are some of the things that you're currently excited about? What are some of the goals you're working on? You've been able to take a really hard situation and now provide value to so many other families, so many other people, but 
now what's going on? What are you excited about? You know, we were talking about before we pushed record that I'm in a different season of motherhood than you are. And your kids are bringing new opportunities, new challenges, but a little more independence. And so what is Cameron up to behind all the scenes these days? (laughs) Well, um, I tell you what I'm really excited about. After my book was released, I got a call from someone who was creating a company called Careful, two L's in Careful. And they said, you know, hey, we we heard you on a podcast talking about your book and we're creating this new service that will help both older adults and their financial caregivers. It's an account monitoring service. And they said, you know, hey, do you want to come join our team? And so I did. And so I've been working for Careful for full-time for almost two years and for a total of three years because I was kind of working part-time at first. And um, I am their director of education. So I write a lot of articles for Careful. I do webinars and speaking for them. And um, as I mentioned, it's a it's a digital platform that you can link to bank, credit card, investing accounts. There's 24-7 monitoring, and it's like way beyond that monitoring that you would get with like your bank or credit card. I mean, we're looking for wow. all sorts of signs of unusual transactions, fraud, mistakes that are common to older adults. And care you can if you're the older adult, you can sign up. If you are a financial caregiver for a parent or a loved one, you can sign up for them so that you can get the monitoring. There's identity monitoring, credit monitoring. There's a vault. There's even a password manager, like you mentioned, like LastPass, oh, nice. so that you can you know, securely generate and store passwords, share them with your trusted contacts. Um, so I'm certainly excited about that. I'm excited that my oldest daughter, who is a freshman in college, has done great this year and has gotten all A's <laughs> in her classes. That's nice to know that my money is being put to good use and she's taking college seriously. I've got a high school junior who is now in the process of looking at colleges. And so that means I'm going to have two kids in college at the same time, um, which is never fun financially, but exciting that they're you know, at that stage of life. And then I've got this 11-year-old who is in fifth grade and will be in junior high next year, which I don't think anyone looks forward to that stage. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. you're a long way off from that, but oh, junior high, that'll be three rough years um, that I'm going to have to survive through, but we'll make it. Yeah. You know, junior high and high school, I think people used to say like best years of your life. I don't know who those people were, but there's those are tough years. Well, I'm super excited for you. One thing that I would love to just have listeners take from your story is putting yourself out there in whatever that looks like for you will allow you to receive opportunities that you would maybe never think of and never know existed. And being on a podcast, you don't have to have a business. You don't have to have a book. You don't have to have anything to be a guest on a podcast and how cool that this opportunity came to you that has now been a great fit for three-ish years and more to come and really be able to have this new community and company that you're a part of. So for anyone that's like sitting there and you're listening and you're like, gosh, I just want a new opportunity or I want to do this. Like, have you told anyone that you want a new opportunity? Have you spoke about what you're passionate about? Have you raised your hand and said, hey, I'd love to get into this type of organization or this type of place? And 
allow yourself to think about bigger goals as a role or financially or hobbies, whatever it is. But how cool to be able to just share something you're passionate about an experience you had with your mom and where it's taken you. And of course, you had that financial journalism background, but this is really, you know, evolved so much through this whole journey. So that's amazing. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. But you're so right, because putting your story out there can open the door to a lot of opportunities. You know, because I became a caregiver at such a young age, I didn't have friends my age who were in a similar situation. And so I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And you know what I was going through. And it's, you know, really, it's only been in the last few years with my current role where I've gotten to talk to a lot of caregivers. And it is so validating. It is really validating Mm -hmm. to hear other people's stories because you're like, oh my gosh, you get me and you, you, you get what I went through. And that is, that is wonderful. And I think if you have a story to share, social media makes it so easy to get out there and share it. And you never know, like you said, what opportunities might come from it. Yeah. And if you don't go first, because so often I hear people say, well, no one's told me they're going through that. Well, why would they share that with you if you haven't raised your hand and shared that you're in a similar boat? You have to go first. You have to go first. And the people that may ask you why you're sharing that on social aren't your people. And that's okay. So share wherever you're comfortable, whether it's at a dinner table or it's on Instagram or somewhere else. Cameron, if there was one piece of advice or action that our listeners took after getting off of this podcast, whether it was financially or just for life, what would you tell them? Oh, that's a that's a broad question. <laughs> I, I know. Think, uh, I, I think certainly financially, don't be afraid to talk about money, you know, and, and it's when it comes to talking to your parents about their finances, you need to have this conversation sooner rather than later. You never know when you're going to have to get involved with their finances. And so having a conversation, having a plan is going to make it a lot easier if you do have to get involved. So that's the first thing. Talk to your parents about their finances sooner rather than later. If you got kids, talk to them about money. And if you're not so great with money yourself, then educate yourself because It is important. It really is. Because like you said, money doesn't buy happiness, but it does give you choices. And if you can be financially sound, you do have a lot more choices. And that will lead to a happier life because you're not so stressed out about money all of the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we're going to link your book and everything below, but where else can we find you, support you, and learn more from you? So my website, as I mentioned, is CameronHuddleston.com. And I guess the best place to find me on social media is Instagram, which is Cameron K. Huddleston. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Cameron. So much wisdom, so much insight, and so much value, not only in the financial aspect, but also in motherhood. So thank you for pouring into us today. Appreciate it. You, your story, and what you have to offer this world fills me up. I want to meet you. Join me on Instagram at this is Kelsey Smith and let's create a ripple effect for mamas with goals. Together is better.